I love communion services. I love church services. I love what we do. Sunday is no doubt my favourite day of the week. But there is something. There is something special, something sacred. Uh, Not like some churches call it sacred, but something incredibly sacred about what we're going to do this morning. And uh, I'm just looking forward to it. I hope you are. I want us to take just 30 seconds, a moment, a minute, whatever it is, to just personally pray. I want to ask you a couple of things to pray for. I want you to pray for your own self this morning um, as we look at our text and that the Lord would speak to you. Uh, Check inventory on your spiritual life before we partake a little bit later. And I'd ask you to pray as well for me as I share this message with us. Um, I need the Lord's help because there is a lot of material in front of me. And I don't want to keep us too long, but I also don't want to miss out on anything. And I want God's wisdom as to know what to share and what not to. So if you take a moment to pray, I'm going to pray uh, silently, quietly before we start. But let's just take some time, personal meditation for a minute. Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning in awe of who you are and so thankful for all that you have done. Lord, we are on a, on a journey this morning to learn more uh, about what it is that you've accomplished for us. We are concluding and completing a series that we began last year. There are many, many things to share and say and Much wisdom is needed as to what is most helpful and most necessary for us this morning. Lord, I pray it would be simple and communicated well, that as we in a little while gather around this table and partake of the emblems that represent your body and your blood that was shed for us, broken for us, we pray that this would be a wonderful entree, a wonderful beginning, preface to that moment where we partake in this wonderful remembrance table so help us i pray help our hearts to be engaged in what's being shared Uh, help us to be honest with you honest with ourselves allowing the spirit of god to uh, move and shape and change us as he sees fit just thank you lord for all that you will do uh, in our midst this morning in jesus name amen On the wall over here, on the windows, we have six glorious terms that we have been looking at since late last year. We began with atonement on the left-hand side over there. Then we moved to election. And then we went to this word imputation. And then to the word justification. And then to propitiation and then to redemption, all very large theological words that I have, I have hope, I hope that I have broken down uh, sufficiently and succinctly for you to have an idea of what those words are. I've kept them in their difficult form because they are so rich with truth. The difference between words and terms 
There is a major difference when it comes to the scripture. When we talk about words, they are a set of letters when put into a bit of a structure form a sentence. But a term carries great weight. A term carries an enormity of truth in that single word. And every one of those terms is filled with rich theology. If you've not been here for our sessions over the last year, roundabout, I encourage you to get those messages, get the notes and learn about those terms because in them is an incredible amount of truth. I have been so encouraged in this study and I hope you have been too. Atonement. The bringing together of two opposed parties. Election, God's sovereign election of the sinner to salvation. Imputation, the fact that my sin was accredited to Christ and his righteousness was accredited to me. Imputation, I love that word, imputation. Justification, the the righteousness of Christ has therefore declared us righteous because we're clothed in his righteousness. This matter of justification, propitiation, that Jesus Christ appeased the wrath of God and was the satisfaction for sin. And then redemption last time, the freeing of the sinner from the slave market of sin by means of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. This morning, our final word, our final term in front of us here is this word regeneration. And we're going to look at that this morning. A glossary of glorious terms, part seven of seven, regeneration. So here is what we're going to ask this morning. The first question that we're going to ask, the first point is simply, what is regeneration? What is that word? Well, before we even answer that question, we need to understand it only appears once in our translation of the scriptures that I'm using, the ESV. The Greek word from which we get it in the English appears only twice In the whole of the New Testament. That means for us, church, that is a very peculiar or special word. Only appearing twice in the whole canon of Scripture makes that a very precious and an unusual word. So I'm in my office yesterday and I thought, I wonder what the world thinks of this word regeneration. So I pulled out a Chambers dictionary from about the early 1900s to have a look at what Chambers wrote. This is what he says. Regeneration is producing a new, new birth, the change from a carnal to a Christian life. Chambers Dictionary. So then I thought, okay, Chambers, I know that he had a Christian background, so that's fair enough. So I thought, well, I know Oxford didn't, so I'm going to get the new modern Oxford Dictionary out and have a look. So I did that, and this is what the Oxford Dictionary said. To give new life or vigour, to reform spiritually or morally, to be born again. The Oxford Dictionary used in schools today says regeneration has a spiritual connotation. That really excited me. I did a little happy dance in my, in my office yesterday when I found those two dictionaries that said that. It is very interesting that all the other dictionaries that I looked up, they all attributed this English word to a spiritual background. Now, some tried to throw a bit of biology in there, I think, probably to take away a bit of religiosity. But they all had this concept of being born again spiritually. So what I'd like us to do is turn with me to Titus chapter 3, to the one place in our English translation that we find this word regeneration. Titus chapter 3. And we read it before. Beginning in verse 4. 
I know I have said this so many times, and I'm sure the young adults are so tired of me saying this, but the word but in the scripture forms an incredible contrast right throughout the scripture. You should do a study on that word sometime about how many times it talks about sin, 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 sin. And then suddenly in verse four, we get, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, there's our word, and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Before we look at regeneration, before I define it, I have to give you some background and context to what we have just read here. This is Titus. Titus is a son in the faith of Paul. He is one who's been sent to the Isle of Crete to strengthen, to order and to shepherd the churches that have been established. That's his job. We read about that in chapter 1 verse 5. And in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, Paul tells Titus to remind his people about the importance of submission to rulers, about obedience, about refraining from evil speech and quarreling and being gentle and courteous to all. And in verse 3, Paul reminds Titus and the assemblies on Crete of their former manner of life. Look in verse 3. For we ourselves are once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. It does us well to remember from whence we came. Christian, it did them well to remember because on that foul black backdrop, do we then come to verse 4 and find the rich jewel of the gospel? And I am not going to be led by the time in this next part here. I'm not going to let time be my master because we have got some incredible theology just to touch on before we can even look at regeneration. Look here in these verses when the goodness and loving kindness of God. I just want to touch on a couple of these elements of salvation here. The goodness of God. Consider the goodness of God, the moral excellence of God. But when the goodness of God appeared, it appeared in the form of Jesus Christ. The goodness of God in person is Jesus Christ. But then we see also when the goodness and loving kindness of God God's disposition to love us despite our sinfulness. We've got to get a handle on this. God's love is unchanging and it is despite our sinfulness. When we were enemies, when we hated God, when we, whether we actually physically did it or if it was just our spiritual life, we, physically, we spiritually shook our fists in the face of God, even if we never ever cursed him verbally, that was our position before him. And in spite of that, the loving kindness of God towards us. Amazing. Number one is the goodness of God. Number two is the loving kindness of God. And then number three, I want you to see in this very text in verse four that we are dealing with the Savior who is God. 
We have all sorts of cults and places telling us today that Jesus Christ is not God. He's a form of God or, or he's a little bit less than God. I want to categorically tell us this morning we believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God in the flesh. And look at how we see here in this passage. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Well, who appeared? Well, it wasn't God the Father. It was God the Son who appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. God, our Savior. We need to get this right. Today, cults will lead us in all kinds of directions and uh, deny this reality that Jesus Christ is God. He is God in the flesh and he dwelt amongst us. Then we see in, uh, in uh, verse number five, he saved us. He saved us. God, our savior. That means we needed saving and he procured salvation and look at what it's based on it is not because of works done by us in righteousness it does not matter how hard you try to be saved nobody will ever be saved because of the merits of their own righteousness because all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags everything that we can do in our flesh is worthless in procuring our salvation it had to be Alien righteousness, we call it. It had to be outside of us that brought about this salvation because it's not by the works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. This text tells us our total inability to please a righteous God. We need to understand that. There's nothing you can do to please God, save trust in Christ and his righteousness be imputed to you. Number six, we see the mercy of God. Have a look here, there in our text. But according to his own mercy, withholding what we deserve. And in withholding that, he put all of that wrath upon the Son of God in our place. We talk about substitution. We talk about imputation. He imputed to him our sin and he punished him on our behalf or for us the mercy of god his compassion and his withholding our just deserts number seven look the cleansing of our new birth by the washing of regeneration we're going to discuss this shortly so i'm not going to go into that in depth number eight the renovation of the Holy Spirit. If I had more time, I would just park on this one because here we see in this particular passage the washing of regeneration. That literally means the bathing, the purifying of, uh, of regeneration, which we'll talk about, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The washing is justification. The renewal is sanctification. It's the renovating of our character before God. That's what this renewal of the Holy Spirit used to confuse me. Because he's saying, what, what do you mean renewal of the Holy Spirit? I thought I had the Holy Spirit. This is talking about a dilapidated old building that someone comes in and starts to renew and make new and fresh. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life in sanctification. He is renovating us. He is changing us to be more like the Lord Jesus himself. Number nine, look at what it says here. Whom he poured out in verse six out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our savior, the full measure of the spirit given to us. 
He poured out on us and into us the fullness of his Holy Spirit. That's amazing. That is amazing that we should have God within. The Old Testament saints didn't know it. Some of the New Testament saints didn't know it till Pentecost. And the fullness of the Holy Spirit poured out to us. And we know in Romans chapter 5 and 6 that that therefore produced love in our hearts towards God and towards his people. Number 10, we see the grace of God. Have a look here in our text. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, declared righteous before him by his grace, a gift of God. Not something we can earn or achieve, a gift of God. And then number 11, and I hope you realise how quick I am going here. Number 11, we see here, the privilege of sonship. We might become heirs. Not only are you saved, not only are you rescued from your sin, not only are you no longer bound in the slavery of sin and in the dominion of darkness and the devil and all that is hellish, now you are welcomed into the family and you are an heir of the Son of God. You are His, you're welcomed into the family and all that is His is yours in Christ. Wow. An heir, sonship. And then the last thing we see here in this portion is the hope of eternal life. That we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Christian, we have a hope. This life is not the end. This is not our home. We're just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue, we say in our song. We have the hope of eternal life. That ought to change us. Look at the benefits, the goodness of God, the loving kindness of God, the Savior who is God, the incarnation, the salvation provided apart from our works, the mercy of God, the cleansing new birth, the renovating Holy Spirit, the full measure of the Spirit given to us, the grace of God, the privilege of sonship, the hope of eternal life. Just there in that text, let alone all the other places we go. And this is only the introduction. I'm sure you know we could spend weeks looking at those 12 aspects, months, years, the rest of our life. But we do need to actually look at the word, the term we're going to go to. In this passage, we find this phrase, the washing of regeneration. That's our focus. We say it only appears once in the English, but did you know there are synonyms in the Bible for this concept of regeneration? And those synonyms are the words born again, born again. New birth, being made alive or quickened, the King James says. Every time these synonyms are used, it is speaking of a spiritual birth, of a recreation, a new existence, a radical change has taken place. Now, as I studied this out, I was quite disappointed. In fact, I got, I quite, got quite frustrated uh, about what I read in some commentators. Some weak theology that I think stinks. And I want to just tell you about it for a moment before I tell you about the real truth of this. Some commentators defined this idea of regeneration a little bit like a dilapidated vehicle that is nothing more than a bucket of rust. We've all seen that. Some of us drive it. You know, we know what we're talking about. A dilapidated vehicle, it's just not good for anything really. And the restorer comes along and spends many hours sanding, cleaning, painting, replacing parts until that vehicle is brought to its pristine place. 
And these commentators proceed to tell us that we are like that dilapidated vehicle ruined by sin and in need of desperate restoration. So they define regeneration as this amazing concept of restoration, a restorative work. And let me just pause and say regeneration in that word has the idea of restoration in it. Others suggest that regeneration is simply returning us to our former state before the fall. They say that Christ restores us to an Adam-like state positionally and then we work, out, we work at, our, at our sanctification. I believe very strongly, very strongly that this is completely erroneous because they speak only of a restorative work. Regeneration is not restoring a vehicle to its former glory, it's creating a new one. It is not, let's polish up this bucket of rust and make it something like it used to be. A former glory, the former image we used to have, that is not regeneration. That is weak, pathetic theology, and now I've said it, because I'm so tired of reading in our commentators and books that God is doing a restorative work. He is. He is. I'm not denying that. But when it comes to regeneration, you are not the old person fixed up a bit. You're a brand new person. You are a recreation, a brand new creature, the Bible says. Old has passed away. The dilapidated bucket of rust is gone. You are now a new creature. Regeneration is not revival. It is recreation. Big difference. It is not a return to Adam's state of innocence before the fall. It is new life in Christ whereby his perfect righteousness is given to us. So that we're not simply innocent of sin, but entirely perfect in our position before God. Don't think for a moment that it would be wonderful to go back to the place that Adam was in. We're wrong. We are in the greatest time in history because we don't live in the realm of innocence. We live in the realm of redemption and regeneration. Adam sinned and the whole of mankind fell into sin out by nature. But now in Christ, we are recreated with the righteousness of Christ upon us. This is even better than our former state. And in the future glory, it will be greater than it ever was pre-sin in Adam and Eve's day. We've got to get that theology right. Some people think, well, if we could just get back, if, if Adam hadn't sinned, if Adam hadn't sinned, we wouldn't see the gospel. We wouldn't see God's fullness of his love and his redemption and his ability to regenerate and change us. And so we live in the greatest dispensation of time, saved by grace, recreated, regenerated. That's what regeneration is. It's a new birth, a new person. And so that's how we ask our first question, what is regeneration? Now we come to the second part, and that is, how is regeneration achieved? How is this new life achieved? I want us to consider a number of subpoints. I want us to turn to a few Bible passages. But before we do that, we need to understand that new spiritual birth is clearly, obviously, not on a merely human level. I'm not just talking about the physical here. It involves the physical, but this is dealing with our inner man, our soul, our person, the real us. The real you is not what we see. That's just the, the body suit. That's disappearing one day. The real us is the internal man, 
That's the part that changes. That's what we witnessed this morning in what I shared just a few moments ago. A change from within that produced an outward change. I'd like you to turn to our first uh, passage, which is John chapter 1, please. By the way, if you want to learn a little bit about regeneration and new life, John is the apostle to go to. John chapter 1. And also I want to note that most cults hate John the most. Okay, And here's some of the reasons why we're going to look at them. The first thing I want to see in how regeneration is achieved is regeneration is a work of God. It's a work of God. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, The Apostle John spent three and a half years with the Lord Jesus writes this in verse nine. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Notice verse 13, please. Who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God. I am so weary of discussions with people about who initiated salvation. Now, whichever side you sit on, whether you have a Calvinistic position or an Arminian position or whatever it is, you can't deny the reality that salvation is a work of God. It is a work of God. It is initiated by God. That is in Scripture. You cannot manufacture it by yourself. It is a work of God. And that ought to affect us, church. That ought to affect us in how we share our faith. It's not results based upon me. It's God's work who does it. And when God does the work, it's an eternal work. Not like when we try and manipulate things. When we try to make things happen, we try to make someone believe truth. We can't do that. This is a work of God, not of the will of man. It's not even of that individual's will to begin with. It is God who moves upon that heart and changes the will to see God for who he is. That should change everything about how we do things. How you bring up your children. You don't force them into things. You don't try to make them believe things that they're not ready to believe. It has to be a work of God. You instruct and counsel and give great wisdom from the word. But it has to be God who brings about that spark of truth in their heart. As it is with everybody. Regeneration is a work of God. We must understand that. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 please. I told you we'd go to John a lot. First John, for our second point. Chapter 1 and verse 7. Regeneration is firstly a work of God, but secondly, regeneration is a cleansing from sin. First John 1 and verse 7. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We don't have the time, but Isaiah chapter one and verse 18, God says to his people, come, let's reason together. He says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. New birth, new life is the product of cleansing from 
sin. Nobody has new life without understanding the fact that their sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. That's how new birth begins. The blood of Jesus Christ cleansing us from sin. Number three, and we're going to move through some of these quickly. Regeneration is a command of God. John chapter 3. I know I'm going between John and 1 John, but John chapter 3. You know this passage with Nicodemus. In fact, we know it so well. Let me just summarize it really quickly. Regeneration being a command of God. You know what God says? You know what the Lord Jesus says in John chapter 3 and verse 7? In the King James, he says, Ye must be born again. You must be born again. That is a command of Jesus Christ. If you would have new life, you must be born again. Born from above, not of the will of man or of blood or of the flesh, but of God. You must be born again. That's how it's achieved. Number three. And I'm going to just move through a couple of these quickly. This one, though, I need to pause on for a moment. Number four. How is regeneration achieved? Regeneration comes by means of the word of God. I'm just going to share another frustration that I have today. And that frustration is not that horn that you can hear. That frustration that I have today in church culture and in so-called Christian experience is that I, as an individual, an unsaved person, can go out to the mountains and to the valleys and to creation itself and somehow find God and salvation. That is not true. An unbeliever will never fully understand salvation outside of the truth of God's word. There is general revelation that may point our attention to God, but special revelation is the means of understanding how I can be saved. I look at those trees and those mountains, that does not tell me that I must repent. I look at those trees and those mountains and I'm in awe of the majesty and the splendor of creation and I say, there must be something out there, that's the beginning. But not until I come to the word of God or hear the gospel of God by somebody telling me the truth. Jesus died for your sin and he is the only way for you to be saved. That is the message of the gospel. And regeneration can only take place by means of the word of God. Now, I'm not saying that everybody has to be able to read the word of God to be saved. What I'm saying is the message of the gospel contained in the word of God is the means of understanding how to be saved. And we look at that uh, in Romans chapter 6. Excuse me, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1, I beg your pardon. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, another apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ spending three and a half years with him. He says here, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, Since you have been born again, regeneration, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Now, some pause here and say that must be talking about Jesus Christ, the word of God. Well, we would think that, except that it says, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Say, how can I be born again? It comes by means of God's word revealing the truth about the person of Jesus Christ. 
James chapter 1, we won't turn there, but James chapter 1 verse 18 says, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. You were begotten into the family of God by means of the word of truth. God's word is essential to regeneration. Number five, regeneration was accomplished in Christ's death and resurrection. Romans chapter 6, please, and we are not skipping this one. Romans chapter 6. New life. You say, how can I have new life? You say, how can I tell others about new life? Here's a good passage. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. Romans 6 verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. New birth is to die to sin, to self, to who we are, and to be raised in newness of life in Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection. This passage here is not about water baptism, as some would say. This passage here is about spiritual baptism, being identified with Jesus Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection from the dead. Regeneration, new life, being born again is possible only in Christ's death and his resurrection on our behalf. And I know we know that. Number six, regeneration becomes a reality when we believe in the Son of God. We know this. I'm not going to have us turn there. But in John 3.36, whoever believes on the Son shall see life. Whoever does not is condemned already. Whoever does not is the one who the wrath of God abides over. We must believe in the Son of God. And 1 John 5, 1 tells us that too. And then I just want to point out that regeneration is achieved lastly, number seven, and only possible because of God's abundant love. Look at 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. 1 John 4 and verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest. If someone says this, how can I know that God's love truly exists? John answers that question. He says, here is the manifestation of God's love among us that God sent his only son into the world. So that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Regeneration, new birth possible only because of God's immutable, unchanging, vast, immeasurable love. This is how regeneration is accomplished. And there are so many more things we could say. But what I want to do is I want to speedily go to our last point Because this is really where the rubber hits the road for us as Christians. A lot of this is known. A lot of these past aspects are already things we are studying or learning, and that's wonderful. But the last thing we want to look at this morning is what will be the results of regeneration. 
What is it? How is it accomplished? But now, what will be the results of regeneration? Let me say this categorically, church. When God fashioned the plan of salvation, and he fashioned it, when he did in eternity past, his intention was not that the recipient of his grace remain unchanged. In fact, I would go so far as to say it is an impossibility for one who has been regenerated to stay the same. You cannot stay the same. I want to show you the purpose and the results of your salvation. It was not so you could enjoy this life. Okay, It's not your best life now. There's a man in America who has the largest church by the name of Joel Osteen. Some of you may even watch some of his television shows. This man is a false prophet. And I am quite prepared to say that from the pulpit. This man tells us that you can now experience your best life now. It's all about you. And yet God loves you. He wants you to be wealthy. He wants you to have all of the blessings of temporal life here and so forth. And I say to uh, Joel Osteen, if I ever had the chance, I would say, clearly you have not seen what happened in the apostles' life. They did not end up being wealthy. They did not end up being any of that. It is a wicked situation. And we find that our goal here is not the fulfillment of our dreams and our passions. Our goal here as regenerated, born again people is to live for Christ. For to me to live is Christ and if I die, I gain. Not if I live in this life, I gain. But if I live in Christ and I die for him, I gain. So let's look at a few things here. Back to Titus chapter 3, please, and verse 5. Titus chapter 3. And verse 5, what are the results? I'm doing okay. It's quarter past 11. Got a few more here to go and we're... Thank you, Lord. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the being born again. Now, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. I intimated to this before. Regeneration results in renovation. Remember that phrase. Regeneration results in renovation. Now we talk about God changing us. We're a new creature. We're stuck in this body, but God is changing us. Our affections, our attitudes, our appetites have all changed. Now walk in the newness of life, Paul says. Now walk in it. Make the decision day by day that I am going to mortify the flesh and I'm going to live for Christ because now I can. I couldn't before. I could never please God. I could never walk with God. I had no power to walk with God. Some of you who have uh, experienced salvation more recently and have even grown up in Christian families where you believed you were saved for many years, you have tried and tried and tried and it hasn't worked. And there's frustration there. I'm trying so hard for God. And the reason it couldn't work is because you weren't new. Your life was not new in Christ. Now you are empowered by the Spirit of God and he's renovating your life now. Regeneration results in renovation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. 
I'm going to have us turn to these because they may not be that familiar and I would like us to just see them in their context, what's around them. Regeneration results in renovation, but secondly, regeneration results in new life. I've said that so many times, but I want to show you. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you haven't studied that little phrase, in Christ, oh please, I beg of you, do that. If anyone is in Christ, he is becoming a new creature. That's not what it says. He will be. He is. That little word is. Present tense. He is a new creation. Don't you dare say that I'm not new yet if you're saved. I am a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's here. It's present. Regeneration is the new life. Thirdly, regeneration results in a deep love for the brethren. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1. If you don't have time to turn there, I'll just turn there and read it to you. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1. This is absolutely critical to me though, because in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1, we read, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Regeneration. There it is. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. This is not, I say it so often, this is not an RSL club. This is not a country club. This is not a Weight Watchers club, although I probably should be involved in something like a Weight Watchers club. But this is not what this is. This is a spiritual connection here that if I say I love God, if I say that Christ has changed me, there must be a love for those who God has also saved. Regeneration results in a deep love for the brethren. We are intrinsically connected. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what the church is. Is. And can I just add here, and some may think differently about this, even some of the comments that I've made today, just because we don't agree with every Christian does not mean we do not love them. There is the right to love them and not agree with them. But everybody who is born of the Spirit, we are to love. We're to love. Doesn't mean we agree everything. I, we don't necessarily dot our I's and cross our T's all the same way. But we love them. We may not be involved in corporate collective ministries together because we have differences on doctrine. But if they are blood bought, we love them and we seek to help them and be a blessing to them. We don't want uh, schisms and chasms and all sorts of things coming up in the church in relationship to blood bought brothers and sisters. But at the same time, we also just can't let every kind of wind of doctrine in the door. But we do love the brethren. Number four. We won't turn here, but in 1 John 5 and verse 4, very similar to the passage we're in, regeneration results in overcoming the world. If you're a new creature, if you have new life in Christ, you have overcome the world, John says. Overcome the world. Number five. We're going to stay in 1 John 5 here in verse 18, if you would look at that verse. We note then regeneration results in overcoming habitual sin. 5 and verse 18. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, 
He shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. That is not the right passage. Excuse me just a moment here. It's a bit earlier. Verse, uh, sorry, verse 18 there. I read the wrong one, didn't I? Verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. The one who has been born of God cannot continually, habitually sin. We're not saying here the, the, uh, the believer doesn't sin anymore. In fact, 1 John verse, chapter 2 verse 1 says, if a brother sins... We have an advocate with the Father. That's not what it's saying. It's saying here, if you keep on going without repentance of sin, without the Holy Spirit's prompting, something's wrong. If you're born of God, you will overcome habitual sin. That's a promise. That's a reality. Number six, regeneration results in a life of good works. Remember in Ephesians chapter two, we read before, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The next verse says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. In our gospel presentations, I hear Ephesians 2, 8, 9 all the time, not including verse 10. Verse 10 is what we're saved to now. We're saved by grace, saved to serve in good works before the Lord. Regeneration will demonstrate good works works that is the place we live now because we are his a life of good works we have two more and then just one more passage to read and i know this is a major download this morning so much here okay i'm i'm aware of that and i appreciate your attention number seven regeneration results in growth as a christian in first peter 2 We read, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. In 2 Peter 3.18, let me summarize. At the end of Peter's second epistle, he writes, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Here is the truth. If there is no growth, there is no life. There is no life. We need to look out for one another. Because if there are no new buds sprouting in our spiritual life, if there's no changes occurring, we need to go to one another and say, I'm really concerned about you. I'm concerned because the Bible says in love, the Bible says that you should be growing. And I don't see you growing and I love you with all my heart. And I would hate to think that at the end of this life, you thought you were a Christian and you weren't and there wasn't growth. And I just let it go past without ever saying anything. Most of us are too afraid to do that to someone. But true love will approach and say, my friend, you've been here for 10, 15, 20 years. You've been around Christian circles and it doesn't seem like life is changing much. It ought to be. Because where there's no growth, there is no life. Are you growing? The last one I would like us to see, if you're still in 1 John, I want you to look at 1 John chapter 2. Beginning in verse number 1, regeneration will result in the expression of God's character in your life. In other words, regeneration will result in Christ-likeness. 
Verse 1 of chapter 2, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. There is going to be a marked transformation in your life if you are regenerated. Regenerated. What will be the results of regeneration? Renovation, new life, love for the brethren, overcoming the world, overcoming habitual sin, a life of good works, growth, and the expression of God's character in my life. In closing, and you have been so patient with me, I want to show you what I think is probably the best picture of regeneration in the Bible. I want you to turn... Finally, and if we all can, that would be good. John chapter 11. I want to leave you with a major challenge at the end of our series here. John chapter 11. And if you'll gird up the loins of your mind, so to speak, for just a moment. Shake off for a second if you have to, just to see this portion of scripture. This is amazing. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Very familiar story. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Just ponder that for a moment, that concept. Another day. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that Whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who had opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen straps and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. I want to use this passage in closing as an analogy of regeneration. Lazarus is dead. So is the sinner. So were you and I. Lazarus is dead. In verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Christ reveals himself as the means of regeneration here. In verses 35 and 36, Jesus wept. See how he loved him, the people said. The Lord Jesus is compassionate towards the sinner. In verse 39, the Lord Jesus says, take away the stone. In regeneration, the Lord Jesus has the obstacles of death removed. Before that sinner. In verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Jesus calls the sinner to new life. In verse 44, the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen straps and his face wrapped with a cloth. The dead man responds to the call of Christ. In verse 44, we find as well that as he comes out, his hands and his feet are bound with linen straps and his face wrapped with a cloth. When we come to Christ, we come as we are with all of the garments of sin. In verse 44, unbind him and let him go. Jesus calls for the removal of grave clothes. There's a wonderful picture of regeneration. And the question 
I want us to think about. We know what regeneration is. We know how it is experienced and performed. The results of regeneration beg this question, Christian. Are you and I still wearing the grave clothes? You've been called to new life. You are alive. Why are we wandering around wearing the grave clothes? We need to live in accordance with our new life. We have been born again. Heavenly Father, what an incredible concept this matter of regeneration is. Everything has changed. And Lord, it is your work that brings about this salvation. And it is our responsibility day by day to walk in the spirit and to mortify that uniform of death. The things that are still a part of our body and our flesh that every day need to be put to death. And Lord, we understand that when first we are saved, there is many things that we bring with us, all kinds of baggage, the stench of our past life. And slowly, but surely, you begin to unbind us and we begin to walk with new strength as a new person living out the reality of that new life in Christ. But Lord, many of us stunt our spiritual growth. Some because we don't fully know what to do and we need discipleship and help. Others because we're rebellious and our hearts say, I want to continue enjoying the deadness of this life. Lord, free us from that, I pray. May our regeneration that has happened result in renovation and change, that we're not the person we used to be. May we be like that demoniac of Gadara, having seen Christ, having been changed by him, sitting down clothed and in his right mind where previously he was anything but that. And may the world perceive in us a power at work that is not from us, that they might ask and wonder at the hope that lies within, and we can say it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of him. And Lord, this morning as we gather at this table in just a moment, may the thought of regeneration be in our mind. May the thought of what you have accomplished for us fill our minds. May we be overwhelmed with grief at all that you experienced, overwhelmed with joy at all that you accomplished And longing and looking forward to the day we see you face to face. Where our knees will bow and our tongues will confess in reality, face to face, that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. And we will spend an eternity in that great song of praise forever and ever and ever. Oh Lord, may you be our focus this day as we partake. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.